Well, hey, good morning. Good morning. Welcome once again to the creek. I hope your weekend was better than mine. My bracket is already busted. Uh, and we've not even gotten that far yet. Uh, but hey, if you're a guest of ours this morning, my name is Ryan, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here at the creek. Uh, and this morning, we're going to do something different. Um, actually, we're going to do something that I'm pretty sure it's never been done in the history of the Creek Church, um, at least in recent history. Um, so let me, let me explain, if you're a guest of ours. Actually, let me explain for all of us, since we've never done it before. Uh, we just wrapped up a series um, last week called Hide or Seek. Uh, and if you, if you were here and you got to be a part of that series, you know that it was one of the best series we've done in a while here at the Creek Church uh, for so many different reasons. And I would even go a little bit further to say that it was probably one of the most, one of the most powerful, uh, one of the most moving seasons that we've seen in a really long time here at the Creek. And, and I say that for so many different reasons. Um, and if you weren't here, it's hard for me to explain. Uh, so if you are a guest of ours this morning, uh, in order for you to explain, when you, when you leave here today, you go home, uh, I would highly encourage you, go to thecreekchurch.com um, and check out our last series. It was called Hide or Seek, um, but uh, you won't regret it. It'll change your life. Uh, but it seems like every single week in this last season we just got out of, um, every, every Sunday, it seemed like God was doing something um, in our church and in our lives. Um, at least, at least I, I felt that way. Um, and I felt like it was so, so incredibly powerful. And one of the reasons why it was so powerful for me, it was powerful because it was terrifying. Just be totally honest. Um, I got, Pastor Trevor asked me to speak one of the weeks of the series. That's not what made it awesome, by the way. Uh, it was, you had to be here to know what I mean by it was an amazing, amazing season. Uh, but I got to share a little bit of my story, um, actually a lot of my story. And it was the first time uh, probably in my entire life that I had been that open about um, my baggage and about my story and about where I came from and about why I was the way I was and what I had struggled through. And it was, it was terrifying to be that honest. Um, I, had never, I had never talked about that stuff to anyone. I didn't even tell my mother I was preaching because I didn't want her to be here um, and to hear it that way. So I let her watch it the next day and that's how she found out that part of my story. Um, it was, I was scared. And not only that, but every single, uh, every, after every single service, instead of hanging out and, and talking to people, I would make a beeline to my office and shut the door because I didn't want to see anyone. Um, I didn't want to face anyone. I didn't have the courage to face anyone. I was too, I was too nervous. I was too, I was too terrified, if I'm being honest. Um, but I don't, think, I don't think I was alone in that either. See, the reason why I was terrified was because for the first time in my life, I stood up in front of people and I shared more than just pastor stories. Because, you know, there's a certain level of like mess ups you expect a pastor to have. Like we, we can tell our funny stories and, you know, our little oopses and things like that. But most people really don't like it when pastors start getting that transparent and that authentic and that raw. And it's like, oh, you mean you have, a, you have garbage too? And you're like, like oh, yes, I do. It was the first time I'd ever done that. And I think it's not just for pastors. I think, I think we're all kind of that way, right? Like there's, there's a certain level of stories that we're allowed to share with other people. Like there, there's only so much of our baggage that will really show. We do, we're all a little crazy, but we don't want anybody to know it. So we, we dress up our issues and the things we go through with cute little stories. And, you know, and maybe you're here and you're involved in a, in a group. And anytime questions start to dig too deep, somebody cracks a joke because we don't want to go there. We don't, we don't want to open that box. And it was the first time I'd ever gotten that open. 
and I wasn't the only one. I know that because every single Sunday at the end, up here at the front of, at the front of our room, at the bottom of our stage, there were so many of us that came forward to pray for all kinds of different reasons. And maybe, maybe you were one of them. Maybe because you deal with anxiety and stress at a level that nobody knows and nobody understands. And, and you're the person in your life and your family and your circle that holds it on all together. And in order for you to be really open and honest about what you're going through, it would dramatically affect everyone around you. Or maybe, maybe you, you went forward and, and you, you asked for prayer because you struggle with addiction. Maybe it was something as pointed as, as the week when we talked about pornography, that's, that's a part of your story. And maybe you weren't, you, you, didn't, you weren't at the place where you wanted to go forward because to go forward, that would have raised some eyebrows and your wife was with you, your girlfriend was with, was with you, your husband was with you. So you didn't wanna go forward. You didn't want your family and your friends to see, but when, when the pastor gave the call to raise your hand, if you wanted prayer, your hand was up there. Or maybe you filled out a card and you put it in the offering bucket when it went by, just hoping that a pastor would see it and would give you a call and you could go and you could talk to somebody for the first time and for the first time you could be honest. And it was terrifying, wasn't it? It's terrifying when you let your guard down and it's terrifying when you show your real colors and it's terrifying when you're open and honest with the junk that you're dealing with with somebody else. But not only was the last series so powerful because it was terrifying, but it was powerful because for the first time, a lot of us got our first taste of freedom. And throughout the series, Pastor Trevor said it like this, that freedom, freedom begins with honesty. It begins when, when we're bold enough or fed up enough that we finally say, you know what, this is me and this is my story and I don't want it to be this way. I'm not okay with this. I've heard enough, I've dealt with enough, I've, I've been through enough, I don't want it to be this way anymore. And so we're gonna do something that I didn't actually get permission to do, but we're gonna do it anyways, because Pastor Trevor's not here. And I talked to him yesterday and he said he didn't think he was gonna have Wi-Fi or, or cell phone access, so he's not gonna find out until it's too late to do anything. Um, we're gonna open the series back up and we're gonna go back into the can of worms because I think there's one conversation that we still have to have. There, there's one question that I think for all of us, especially those of us that whether we, we responded in a, in a visible way or not, a question that we all need answered. Because at some point in our lives, we're all gonna want or need freedom for something. At some point in our lives, we're all gonna want or need freedom for somebody in our lives. And the question is this, how do we move forward? How do we go from, from where we are that angst and that feeling that there's more and that we want more and we want freedom and we want that. We don't just want the eternal life that Jesus gives us, but we want that better life too. And we actually want to experience it. How do we, how do we get there? Because in, 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 my, in my story, because it's the only story that I know super well, I've had moment after moment after moment where I've sat through sermons, I've gone to conferences, I've been in groups, I've been talking to a friend where I've feel so, so convicted and so bad for the things that I'm doing, for the decisions that I'm making. Moment after moment, when it dawns on me that I am not a good husband and I am not a good father, that I'm not a good son and I'm not a good friend and I fail in so many moments of clarity. And sometimes those come with tears and sometimes those come with, with me singing a, a song really loudly at the end of the service because I'm feeling it. And sometimes it comes with me going to the front and praying with somebody. And sometimes it's just me standing there with my shoulders slumped and my head hanging down because I know that I should be doing better, that I should be better. But no matter how many moments I've had, when the conversation comes around again, when the sermon is preached again, 
when the series cycles back around and we do another version of hide or seek, most of us will find ourselves in the exact same place, feeling the exact same way and for the exact same reason, because nothing changed. There were lots of feels and there were lots of emotions and you really wanted it and you really wanted to experience better, but nothing actually happened outside of Sunday. So how do we move forward? So let me uh, help us get there um, by telling you a little bit about about me and about my day. Um, This is what I do. I'm a pastor, believe it or not. It's my full-time job, tattoos and all. Um, They pay me to do this. Um, When you figure out uh, my job description, what all I do, let me know because we're trying to write one. Most people have no clue what I do. And some days, neither do I. But my day starts at 4 a.m., Every single, every single work day, if I'm coming to the office or coming to church, then I'm, I'm waking up at four. That's when the first alarm goes off. And then there's yelling um, at the alarm for, for it to stop. And it, it stops. And then five minutes later, it starts yelling at me again, telling me it's time. It's time to wake up. So I'll, I'll drag myself out of bed. I'll wash off my face. I'll come, I'll come here. I'll come to the church. I'll do some kind of a, of a workout routine. And then at 6 a.m., I meet with one of our students, one of our teenagers. Just take a, take a, like, take a moment to realize a teenager meeting their pastor at 6 a.m. in the morning. That's, that's special. Uh, he's awesome. He comes here, he meets me, and for this entire year, all of 2019, uh, we meet at 6 a.m. and we pray for 30 minutes. And I, I would like to tell you that I have a very consistent, well-thought-out, organized prayer plan, but it's not true. Um, I do it every day at the same time, but it's like, it's schizophrenic prayer. I, I usually walk around with a journal and anytime somebody asks me to pray for them, I write, I write it down in my journal. But when it comes to actually like praying through all those things, there's, there's no plan. I would like to tell you there is, there is not. I open my journal and it's like Jesus Russian roulette. Um, I was like, what am I gonna pray for today? And just kind of pray for whatever, whatever I, feel, I feel led to pray for that's on the list. But at the top of my list in my journal is a name. It's the name of a guy that actually grew up here, going to church here. Um, for a brief, a brief uh, period of history, I was actually one of his pastors. He graduated, went off to college, and his whole time here, he served, he was active, he was plugged in, he claimed faith, he was at everything we ever did. But then when he went off to college, he decided that faith wasn't for him. They didn't buy it anymore. That if God really was who we said God was, and if God really was good, then he couldn't exist because the things that he had seen in life and the things that had happened to him and the things that he was experiencing, they weren't good. And so every single morning at 6 a.m., I would pray for him. And my prayers would go something like this. It'd be like, God, would you send somebody to talk to him? God, would you just show up in a big way and surround him with people who love you so much? And would he see how different they are? And would he learn that how good you are through them? And God, would you just, would you send somebody? Would you do something? Would you show him mercy? Would you show him grace? Would you save him? God, he's your kid. I believe he's your kid. Would you do something? And then one day I stopped in the middle of my prayer because it dawned on me. Why am I asking God to do something? Like it makes sense. He's God, he's in control and everything. But literally this kid has, this person has in their circle of influence, a pastor. Like it is my job to have those conversations. And I'm asking God, God, send somebody into their life to do something. It's like, what about you? This is your job. Look at all the books you've read. You know all the questions to ask and you even know the answers. Why aren't you doing anything? Like, you could be that person. Maybe just maybe you're supposed to be that person. And I stopped and I was like, God, never mind. I know what I need to do now. 
So the reason I tell that story is because I think when it comes to the people in our lives that are lost, that are far from God, we have the, we have the same outlook towards them and we treat them and we pray for them like we do everything else in our lives and like we do our faith and like we do our addictions and our struggles and our families and our relationships. We go to God and we pray and we pray and we pray and we ask God to do something, to make it go away. And we come to churches on Sunday hoping and praying that we're gonna have some cool, like mystical, magical Jesus moment and we're gonna walk out and everything's okay. We, we pray for a silver bullet, for a diet pill. How's that work for you? Not well. Because it's not designed to work that way. It's not. There's never gonna be a moment powerful enough in a service that's going to forever set you free. It doesn't work that way. See, God has done everything that he needs to do for you to have eternal life and a better life. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave so you could have that, all right? Debt is paid, debt is paid, bank account is full, you got it. He gives you his Holy Spirit if you're here and you call yourself a Jesus follower. There is not more of him to give you. It's up to you. And it's up to us to take our next step and to do something and to move forward. There is no silver bullet. You're the silver bullet. There's a guy in the New Testament by the name of Paul. I love Paul. I love Paul for so many reasons. He, he's kind of a big deal. If you're not familiar with the New Testament, he is basically the reason why we are here this morning. He took the good news about Jesus to the known world. He planted churches, he preached sermons, he shared his faith, and because of him, we are here today. But Paul, in one of his letters, would write about this thing. He called it his thorn in the flesh. And I like it because he talks about how he prays to God that God would remove this thorn in the flesh, but God never does. God never gives him the mystical cure to, to remove the thorn, and he never actually comes out and says what the thorn in the flesh is either. Which, which I like for a whole other reason, because then it helps me and you, because then we can look at the story of Paul and we can say, you know what? I bet his thorn was depression. I bet that's what it was. I bet his thorn was anxiety and stress. I bet a dude doing that much, his stress levels have got to be so high. No, you know what? I bet his thorn was alcohol. He grew up in a culture where it was all over the place. I bet he really struggled with that. No, no, maybe it was drugs. Maybe, maybe it was pornography. Maybe it was a relationship. Maybe there was a girl or a guy that followed him around that made it really difficult. Maybe he had let somebody down. Maybe it was a mother. Maybe it was a mother-in-law. Maybe it was a cousin. We don't know. It could be any of the things. You can put whatever it is that you're struggling with in your life into the story of Paul and say, you know what, I bet that's what it was. And Paul's gonna write a letter to a group of Jesus followers in a city called Corinth, and he's gonna help them deal and help them find out how they can actually begin to experience the better life and not just talk about it. Now, for those of you who don't know church history, and it's okay if you don't, because most of us don't, the Jesus followers at the city of Corinth, it was like Christians gone wild. It was, it, it, it was pretty bad. Like they, were, they were sleeping with each other and they weren't supposed to. It wasn't like you know, married people sleeping with each other. It was like people sleeping with people they're not supposed to sleep with. And they were proud about it. They were literally like they were bragging because there was so much bad stuff going on. There was so much what the Bible would say like lust and carnal and flesh-like things. And they would do these things and then they would say, yeah, we're so awesome. Jesus still loves us even though we did that. Look at us. Like there's, there's, there's even a story. There was, there was a boy who started sleeping with his father's wife and they started bragging about it. Like imagine that, imagine that comes up in your, in your, in your community group, in your small group. Somebody, somebody opens up like, yeah, I'm, I'm sleeping with my, dad's, with my dad's wife. And then the group leader goes to the pastor, he's like, pastor, I got a great story. 
We got this guy and he's sleeping with his dad's wife. And Pastor's like, are you serious? That is so awesome. God is so good. We're going to tell the whole church. That's what they did. They were insane. And so Paul's going to write a letter to them. And we, we call it, we, we have two actually. We call them first and second Corinthians. But in the first one, he's going to help them deal with their temptations, help them fight to actually experience better. And he starts it this way. He says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run? Now, let's press pause right here, because already some of you are like, bro, we don't run. We've not ran in a long time. Do you see us? We don't even run to the fridge anymore. That's why we had children. I know. But it was a big deal to, to the Corinthians. All right, they had these games that took place really close to their city called the Isthmian Games, all right? Not the Olympics. At this point in history, these games were more popular than the Olympics. And I know track and field isn't really our thing. Like, we don't go to track and field unless our kids are in track and field, and even then you go begrudgingly, right? Because it's like NASCAR minus the engines in the car. It's just, it's not really fun to watch. It's, it's not a big deal, but to them, it was everything. Like, you would go and you would run for glory and for your city and for your family, and you would get fame and you would get your face painted on a vase somewhere. It was a big deal. And so people, people would go and, and, and they would go and they would live outside the city of Corinth for a period of 10 months. They had to stay there for 10 months. And they would train in the presence of judges. You had to in order, in order to compete in the games. And then a couple weeks before the games, everybody was brought in and they had to do a specific training regiment. Now, here's what I know about running. Running, it's not really difficult to understand what running is or even to do it. Like, running just comes naturally. Shortly after you learn how to walk, you learn how to run. Some do that in reverse and have black eyes to prove it. Running, running isn't hard to understand, but it's really hard to do. And Paul is telling the Corinthians here, listen, following Jesus, it's really simple, but it's so not easy. Like, it's really easy. It was easy for Jesus to look at the woman caught in the act of adultery and say, go and sin no more. It's a whole lot harder for her to follow that up and go and sin no more. It's really easy to say, love your enemies until they're gossiping about you and somebody gives you a black eye. It becomes a whole new level of complicated. It's really easy to say, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her until, until you, you meet your wife and she's a human being and sometimes she's not so lovable. It's really, really easy, wives, to say love and submit to your husbands like Paul does in, in the New Testament until all of a sudden it's like, have you met my husband? Following Jesus is simple. But it's not easy. It's simple to say, go and sin no more. It's simple to say, put away the bottle. It's simple to say, fix your relationships. It's simple to say, fight for better. It's so not easy. And if you're here and you've not experienced that, it's probably because you're not even trying. But see, the, the other, other thing that he's teaching the Corinthians by, by drawing on this idea of the games that they're so familiar with is that it's all-encompassing. These athletes would leave their homes and their families and their jobs to come live outside the city of Corinth. And they would train. And maybe, maybe you were an athlete, maybe you are an athlete, maybe you have a child who is, you know that when your child or when you are serious about something athletic, it's all consuming. You become the taxi. Schedules change. Diets have to change if your child really wants to become a contender. If you really want to be a contender, you have to train. You have to give mass, amount, mass amounts of time to training. You have to get the right amount of sleep. Otherwise, the training doesn't work. You have to sacrifice what you do on Friday nights. It takes over everything. All for a race. It's not an accessory. It becomes your life. And that's, that's the other point he's trying to make is that if this is really what you want, this freedom and this better life, that taste of freedom that you got, if you want more of that, that experience with God that you have, if you want more of that, if that relationship that you've experienced with Jesus, if you really want more of that, 
It can't just be an accessory in your life because following Jesus isn't an accessory. Following Jesus is something that takes over your entire life. And if it doesn't, then you're not following. He goes on. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run? Otherwise, it's not a very good race. But only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. And this is kind of interesting, right? Because Jesus did it all. All to him I owe. He paid for our forgiveness. He did everything. And nothing you can ever do will rescind that offer. Like there is no sin so big that all of a sudden God's like, nope, don't got you anymore. That one wasn't covered on the cross. It doesn't work that way. So what, what is it that we're actually, we're actually running to, to obtain? What is it we actually have to like, why do we actually have to do things? Like why do you have to make it that hard? And here's why. Because forgiveness, forgiveness is free. But freedom comes with a fight. Jesus paid for your eternal life and he paid for your better life, but sometimes you have to work for it. It's kind of like, it's kind of like a paywall. I don't know if you've ever gone to, you know, Wall Street Journal or New York Times or to one of these websites to try and, and, and read a story and you get about three quarters of the way through and then all of a sudden it stops and a pop-up comes up and it says, want to read more? Click here and become a subscriber. That's called a paywall. It's this idea that you can experience certain things, you can have access to this, but in order to really get all of it, to milk it for all it's worth, you have to pay something. You have to do something. It's a paywall. They do it in video games. They do it with most subscription services. You can, you can come and taste and see that it's good, but if you really want all of it, you have to pay something. It comes with a cost. There is a price attached to freedom. There is a price attached to better. Jesus isn't going to do it for you. He already did it. You just have to go and live in it because victory always involves a fight. And he goes on, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. And we kind of already talked about how the race becomes all-consuming. And this is where most of us top at, tap out because that's, that's a high ask. That's, that's a high bar. To sacrifice as much as Paul is just alluding to. And at, at, the, end, at the end of the talk this morning, I'm gonna give you some things that you can take and if you've maybe made a decision or there's some things you want freedom from, some things that you can do that will actually help you get there, like it's, it's gonna cost you something. And a lot of times when we begin to actually take steps, right, we, get, we, we try to put foot, feet to our thoughts and we try to, to live out that better life, at some point we'll put up our hands, say, you know what, I give up. I just can't do it. Loving your enemies is great, but you don't know me. I got Irish blood. We're just angry people. It doesn't work that way. Like I'm just, I don't have that wiring. Like some people just have that wiring to follow rules. They're type A. They're super annoying, but God made them to follow rules. They are perfect. God didn't make me that way. I just, I just can't. It's, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not natural at it. I'm naturally addicted to things. Like you don't know, but like affairs run in my family. Like my grandpa had an affair. My father had an affair. Like it's just, it's going to happen. It's just, it's here. It's, it's a done deal. It's too difficult. Like, yeah, you know what? Some people, sure, God made them for better, but not me. He made me for eternal, and for right now, I'm going to suffer, and payday will come later. And we love that idea, don't we? I got Irish blood, or German blood, or Scottish blood. All the blood always seems to be so angry. I got this thing inside of me, and because I'm a part of this family, or from this tribe, or I work here, or I'm from Appalachia, I just can't. It's not possible. I'm never gonna be able to get better. I'm never gonna be able to experience that. We love the idea of people who just have these natural talents and abilities and gifts given to them and it becomes our excuse and our cop-out. But there's a study that I actually read this week and it was of highly successful people. 
And they went and they researched and they studied and they heard their stories and the vast majority of them should not have been where they were if it was based on genetics, if it was based on natural talent, if it was based on where they were from. What they found was the common factor behind most people that were successful was this word right here, grit. The ability to keep fighting and to keep moving forward and to keep trying, even when it gets difficult, even when it gets hard, even when it's not easy, because grit counts for two times as much than any kind of natural talent or ability. You have to keep at it. You have to keep walking around the wall. You have to keep fighting and you have to keep pushing. But here's why. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. Literally, all they won at the Isthmian Games was a crown of leaves that was going to rot. How would you have liked to have given 10 months of your life and only gotten a crown of leaves? So not cool. And they got glory, but they got glory. They got fame too. They went back to their cities and they, become a, they became heroes. But guess what? It only lasted until the next game when somebody else went and ran for their city and won or lost. See, glory like that, athletic glory, it only lasts for so long. It has an expiration period. There's a reason why people who are in their 30s, 40s, and 50s still wearing their Letterman jackets and bragging about what they did in high school, why that's not kosher. Because that glory only lasts so long. It's only really cool for so long. Eventually, you got to do something else. But what we're fighting for, as we follow Jesus and fight for better, is imperishable. It's what could be and it's what should be. It's a healthy family, it's a marriage, it's your children, it's your purity, it's your happiness, it's your joy, it's your liver, it's your sanity, it's, it's, your, it's, it's all of those things. It's the better life that Jesus came to give you. That's imperishable, that's eternal. So fight. And it's more than just a moment. Paul goes on and he says, so I do not run aimlessly. I have a plan, I know what I'm gonna do. And I do not box as one beating the air. And he's talking about shadow boxing. He's saying, this isn't a drill. This isn't practice. Your life isn't, it's not a dress rehearsal for the afterlife or for eternity. This is your life. You get one of these. You get eternity forever, but you only get one shot now to make the impact and live the kind of life that Jesus has for you. And he goes on and he says, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Lest after calling myself a Jesus follower and going on Sunday, I become, I become the cosmic excuse of hypocrite. I'm gonna fight for better. And I'm gonna set an example. Here's the thing. There are two versions of our faith. Two. There's the version that most of us live with. The version that has Sunday as a tack on, an add on that relegates faith and practice to what we do in these moments and in this time. There's a version of our faith that looks at the actual life of Jesus and says, you know what? That was only for Jesus. He was extreme and doesn't realize following somebody means actually doing what they do. And if you wanna live the life that he promises you, there's a paywall behind it and you have to do something. Otherwise, you'll get eternal life, but you'll totally miss out on better life. And so will other people around you. There are two versions of our faith. One that's pathetic and weak, but it's the one that we choose because it's easy. And then there's the one that Jesus offers us. And it's the one that changed the world. It's the one that people will flock to because it's the one that works. There are two versions of our faith. Choose his. Now let me tell you how you can do it. First thing you can do, write it down. Whatever it is for you, 
Whatever that what could be, what should be is for you. Whatever you're wanting and praying for freedom from or freedom in, whoever it is in your life that needs freedom, whoever it is in your life that needs Jesus, whatever relationship that needs work, that needs mending, write it down so you can remember it. Write down what you wish your story would be this time next year when we come back around and we do another version of hide or seek and when the moments come, what kind of story do you have? Do you wanna be the person who raises their hand and says, I'm still there, I'm still fighting or do you wanna be the person who can look back and say, follow me because I know the way to better and I know the way to freedom. Write it down. Put it in a journal, I'll buy it for you. But write it down so you can know what you're aiming after. Jesus was so clear what he was aiming after. And one of the first sermons he ever preached, he came out and he said, I'm here to declare liberty to the captives, freedom and life. That's why he came. He knew, he had a mission. It was written down and then pray. And this is not a high bar. We all pray. When that person cuts us off, we pray for them. Those who don't believe, get you in the right circumstance, you'll pray. Praying is just talking to God. It's that easy. But see, something happens when we take what we're asking for, what we're looking for, what could be, what should be. When we take that to God and we talk to him about it, something divine happens. It's like a filter that goes over our eyes and all of a sudden we see temptation differently and we see people differently. We see relationships differently. It's like a divine antenna goes up and all of a sudden we're picking up a totally different signal. So pray, talk to God, make it a thing and make it a habit and then study. Because the only way you're ever really going to hear from God is if you study for yourself. And there's an amazing book that's actually a collection of 66 books that we have called the Bible. And if you wanna get to know what following Jesus really looks like, maybe just maybe you should read his story for yourself and not rely on what pastors chew up and spit back out for you. Because that's for baby birds. God has more for you than that. That's milk. God has a good steak ready for you. If you're a vegetarian, tofu. Study. If you don't know where to start, start at the Gospel of John. It's awesome, it's epic, it's my favorite. I read it so many times throughout the year. And the first chapter reads like the epic prologue of a great movie. So when you read chapter one, read it out loud in a funny accent. It makes it that much better. Study and then serve. Because maybe your thing for you is you struggle with anxiety, with depression and with stress. Or maybe, maybe it's not anything so personal. Maybe it's your children or your marriage. Maybe it's your coworkers. Here's what I know, when we get so locked into looking at our problems and our issues and looking in the mirror, we become consumed with our darkness and our issues. But something amazing happens when we stop looking into the mirror of our depression and our sadness and our darkness and we charge in and we fight for someone else and we love someone else and we put someone else first, that all of a sudden we begin to become free from that depression and that anxiety. When we love someone else, all of a sudden something inside of us becomes or feels more, more lovely. Or for you, community. Some of you have thought about it for a long time. You've even filled out a card, you've turned it in, people have tried to get up with you. Maybe you fell off the face of the earth. I don't know what happened to you. It was too hard to get plugged in. I don't know what your excuse is, but community is too important for you to miss. Because there's no way you're ever going to become the you that God wants you to be if you're not connected to God's people and to God's kingdom, which he calls the church. And maybe just maybe your life isn't as bad as you think and you need people around you who will give you clarity and help you see things as they truly are. And you need guys and you need girls around you who will help hold you accountable. 
Because maybe the, the thing that you're dealing with, you're dealing with because you have too much freedom in your life and you need people who are gonna charge in and ask you tough questions and hold you accountable and love you enough to care and to do something about it. You may value independence, but maybe it's costing you a whole lot more than you think. And God never made you to live life alone. And then the last, and, and my, my favorite, because if there was a silver bullet on the list, I think this just might be it. Fast. Do you know Jesus did it? I know he's a son of God. Before he went toe to toe with the devil, do you know what he did? Out in the wilderness and didn't eat a bite for 40 days. I think there was a reason for that. See, when we fast, we give something up so that we can focus with more clarity and more power and attention on God. When was the last time you fasted? You hear you call yourself a Jesus follower? Seriously, when was the last time you did that? And here's what, I don't wanna make light of anything. I don't mean you gave up social media. That's not fasting, that's called a healthy practice. That's called your sane. I'm not talking about giving up TV. That means you found other things to do with your free time. I mean, you fasted like Jesus. You gave up your food. And I know you have reasons why you shouldn't and reasons why you can, and they are legion and you're working out for the first time so you can't fast and you're too stressed so you need food. You have your reasons, but Jesus did it. And if Jesus did it, don't you think it's just important enough to emulate? Don't you think he modeled that for us for a reason? He didn't have to. He lived the life he lived so we could see it and so we could copy it. There's a reason why before he went toe to toe with Satan, he went 40 days without any food. But when he faced Satan, Satan turned tail and ran. And maybe you're here and you have some strongholds in your life and you have some things you're dealing with. You have some sins that won't go away. You have a relationship you're wanting fixed. And maybe just maybe you need to get hungry. Maybe just maybe you need to give up some food so that you can feel some pain and that pain can turn you towards your creator and the source of all life, hope, and joy. And he can help you share that life, hope, and joy with others. Six things. Six things that I believe you leave here and you put those into practice, you'll get to better. You leave here, you do these things, will it be easy? No, but it'll be worth it. What you get, what you get will be so incredibly worth it. There are two versions of our faith. Choose his, because ours never works out so well. Ours will cost us more than we gain from it. Ours isn't worth it. There was only one version of faith that ever changed the world and it was Christ's and it was Jesus's. And if you want the life he offers, you need to live the life he gives. Let me pray for us. God, this morning, would you give us the boldness and the angst to put feet to thought, action to angst, to fight, to leave your God and to put some of these things into practice. Not some of them, God, all of them. You modeled the life for us that was compelling, that was strong, God. You lived the life that changed the world. And then you told us that we, we would do greater things. But God, if we're ever gonna do it, if we're ever gonna experience better life, we've gotta actually live your life. Give us the boldness to do it and to chase after you and you alone. In your son's name of Jesus, in your name.